Hey everybody, welcome to Heterodox Americana. This is a show about thinking outside the box and examining the conventional wisdom that informs how we think and shapes how we see the world around us. The question that we're ultimately trying to get at here is, how do our unexamined ideas impact our ability to thrive as human beings? And it's our intention to unpack some of these ideas, take a fresh heterodox perspective that hopefully leads us somewhere new. My name is Raphael Freeman, and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm Angie Backus, another one of your hosts. I guess I want to start by by apologizing for how late we are in this uh, in this particular episode. We're a day late, but and we were a day late last week too. Last week it had we had an issue with uh, the server, mm-hmm. uh, our our platform, uh, and this week there was an issue with well, you know, the world falling apart. <laughs> it's, it's coronavirus. Um, so I, I certainly want to thank people for hanging in a, uh, in there with us, even you know a day later. Uh, I guess there's another thing to to address that there's some construction that's happening, you know, in the neighborhood, and right that next to us. right that might bleed. I'm hoping that that doesn't bleed into the uh, the recording, but if you hear some construction, um, we apologize for that too. Uh, I I guess I I want to check in with you and ask how you're doing. I, How's it going over there? <laughs> I think I'm doing okay. I think trying to just be, um, keep abreast of things, um, kind of laying low. It's been a quiet few days, I think. How about you? How are you doing? I'm great. I got my, uh, I got, I got my Pellegrino. I got my uh, light roast Papua New Guinea coffee. Uh, I got my introvert's, uh, you know, dream over here. Yeah. So I'm good. Good, yeah. I was I was thinking the other day you should probably put out a, a pamphlet on social isolation. Like give all the good tips, all the ways that you know how to do it. I could only do it from an inter, from an introvert's point of view, uh, and it wouldn't be much of a pamphlet. It would just be like stay at home. Ah, <laughs> stay at home. Period. That's right. The end. Got the it. End of that. Yeah, it's um. You know, I think. Probably people might have expected that this would be the topic of our podcast this week. I, I had considered that maybe we do something different um, just because this seems to Dif- be... Different than coronavirus? Yeah. <laughs> this seems to be, you know, whatever he's talking about, I thought, well, maybe we should, like, go off script a bit. But yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, to do something other than coronavirus seems like it would be, like, how do we make the least relevant podcast episode ever? Like, you gotta <laughs> oh, yeah. do this one. I mean, there's so much information out there. But, you know, I, then I considered um, it is on everybody's mind. Maybe we don't have a lot of new information, but it's just nice to sometimes just talk about it. That's right. Perspective, which is what I think we, we can offer. Uh, you said that you, you had some people in your network. Some of, some of our listeners even had some, some questions um, that seemed like they were, were worth tackling. Yeah. Do you want to start with one of those questions? Yeah. Um, so here's one. It says, uh, at what point do we imagine taking responsibility for the web of humanity, the common good, as opposed to responding, I assessed this situation and I decided I was good with it after I determined the risks were minimal. A lot of I in that sentence. And are we capable of responding for common good? That was a question that yep. was posed. Yeah, so th- those are two, that's two questions. Those are they're both really good questions. Um, 
What do you make of the latter half, that, that second part? Are we capable of common good? Yeah. Uh, I do think that we are. Um, you know, you and I were talking earlier this week. This is tricky because um, it, it really does affect us on a very individual level. So I, I think people are having at times, from what I read, and I was telling you the Spanish flu, I read this article on the Spanish flu, and um, it was mayhem, like people were giving up their kids, like, <laughs> because they were just trying to save themselves. Right. And, you know, I think that we can fall in that direction if we're not careful, because um, this isn't like a, a natural disaster where people come together and you know, are trying to rebuild something. Right. This is something infectious that happens to our person. Um, so it has to be kind of well thought out, but we have to think about what that would mean for us to look for helping the common good, um, not putting ourselves completely at risk, but also to do the right thing. So I think it's trickier. I think we're capable, yes. Right. But I think it takes a lot of um, more brain and emotional energy to get there. So none of this, from my standpoint, none of these, uh, none of these conditions really help. When you think about, um, so you know, there's a, an emerging science of disgust. People have been studying disgust, uh, I guess, over the last seven years or so, um, trying to look at disgust from an evolutionary um, psychology standpoint. And it seems like disgust is it really kind of points to our underlying distrust of infection, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that things are that we perceive as disgusting are generally related to animals, right? They're generally bodily or animal fluids or something that's connected to animals. Uh, and that sense of disgust is seems like it's triggered by this idea of trying to prevent infections from sure. spreading. Yeah, makes sense. And so even just from like a like a natural, I don't know what to call it natural or not, but like even, even from, reaction. yeah, like an evolutionary psychology point of view, the amount of distrust and I think that, that some people seem to have, right? Because um, some people are out at bars and maybe that's, that kind of addresses the first part of yeah, that question. Yeah, St. Patrick's Day. Right. Um, but for those people who are socially distancing, mm -hmm. uh, that to me makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, not just because I'm an introvert and a germaphobe. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right? true. This, this, is, this is like your Olympics This is right a confluence here. of, right... Uh, but no, not just because of that, uh, but also for, you know, the reasons that this is kind of, it's one of these natural human responses to recoil when, when we don't know what's, what's happening at the kind of in, the infection level. That's right. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, I believe that we have the capability. We just have to really think through it. It's not like you said, our natural instinct may be, um, to recoil, you know, one of the things I just thought of this that we might have in our favor is that there isn't a visible sign. Maybe that's in our favor or not. Disgust usually happens visually. Right. So we don't have to recoil at the sight of somebody. But I do think that even seeing these images over and over again of, of even what the virus looks like, it gets a little weird. Yeah, and I'll tell you, uh, you know, the visual signs... Uh, it would probably be helpful if, we, if there were like a, a really perceptible threat as opposed to this invisible threat. But I had a friend who said, uh, who told me he coughed uh, out in public once and he said he cleared the, the entire sidewalk. Like people were like, whoop, let me get my distance. Uh, so there's some of that, that that's yeah. happening. Um, but in some ways, I, I think if we look at the, the people who aren't doing the distance, like so some of the people are like, business is normal. Right. Uh, which I think kind of goes to the first part of this question. Who are these people 
who have decided um, that they have made an assessment mm-hmm. and that as far as their risk assessment goes, they're okay with taking the risk. I'm going to buy these tickets for cheap or I'm going to get on this bus full of drunk people for St. Patrick's Day and we're just going to party anyway. Mm-hmm. Like who are these St. Patrick's Day like, you know, revel- revelers? revelers? And, um, you know, is it is it irresponsible? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that kind of behavior. Well, you had even mentioned... You were reading something the other day out loud about somebody in Philadelphia. Um, I guess they have this, whatever, this bar crawl. And and particularly in this neighborhood in West Philadelphia, because we're so close to the University of Pennsylvania. And some bar owner was saying, yeah, we're on. Drink your beers. That's why we're open. Yeah, come, you know, pour out in numbers. Let's, let's do this party. Um, and that, to me, when you read that out loud, I had a, a really kind of... I don't know if it was anger, something akin to it. I just thought it was just so selfish. Yeah. I did get, you know, I do get these businesses losing money, but at the expense of, you know, lives or people getting people riled up around, let's just make fun of this. That to me is just so irresponsible. So I I, I agree with you. I think it's amazingly irresponsible. This is one of those cases where uh, this is one of those cases where actually leadership really matters. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I generally expect the divide to happen uh, along different ways. So there are loads of people who lean conservative, and uh, actually there are are lots of people on on either side of the kind of political thinking who who aren't taking it super seriously. So the question I think in some ways is like, you know. Is, is this the thing that needs to be taken seriously? I, I want to get back to that other question that that your um, that the listener had about you know how can we take care of each other, and part of that has to do with how we assess the seriousness of this. Right. Uh, is it serious or not? Um, you know, it, how serious is it, uh, and what do we make of it? And there are, to my, you know, if I'm trying to understand, you know, both points of view. I hear one argument that sort of goes like this. Um, we're not going to stop our lives. We can't stop living. We're not going to be, we're not going to let fear rule the day. And so let's just live. I mean, we're talking about an 80% survival, I mean, an 80, 98% survival rate, right? 98% survival rate. You people need to stop freaking out and just live your lives. Um, and, and I do, so on the surface of it, I mean, you've heard this argument, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, on the surface of it, there's... I mean, the logic isn't flawed if you're considering yourself. If you're considering yourself and will I make it, if I have a 98% you know, chance of making it, uh, we, can, we, can, we can stop freaking out. I get that part. Uh, the other part is that we're all connected, just about everybody, some, you know, six degrees of separation, right? We're all connected to someone who's in one of these more vulnerable populations. And just because, you know, you don't think it's going to have grave consequences for you, that's also a risk that, like, you know, I mean, there's still young people who have perished because of this. And there are people who have had other complications and even reinfection. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's not like it's, it's a non-issue. Uh, but let's say, you know, you're right. And this, I think, kind of goes to the heart uh, of the question that, um, that the, the listener, uh, you know, started with. If we know that we're connected to all of these people, and some of the people to whom we're connected are, are really uh, more at risk than we are, then what does it mean? So, you know, I like to use this language. What does it mean to be each other's keepers? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and, and is it even morally right to say, oh, I'm going to be okay and forget about these other people, you do you. Like, is that really a society? Um, and, and, you know, I guess, you know, the other, ha you know, part of that question, like, can we, can we do better? Can we actually, you know, pull together to actually, um, you know, do what's right by one another? That, that's, the, that's the part that I think I'm less convinced than, than you that, um, that, that we even have, I don't want to say that capability, but structurally, I don't know if we have the design. Well, I think it's an interesting question because it, I think you, ba you have to back up and consider the threat. Um, it's one of these things, you know, it, we've talked about this before. People don't want to do much about global warming because it's not directly affecting them. You, you don't do anything about something until, boom, it crashes in on you. Right. Um, and I think this, this virus is one of those things that even in the U.S., even though numbers are rising, you know, all the reports from the top down have said that this is going to get worse before it gets better. I think particularly, particularly in the United States, it's tricky to think of things on a more serious level. We are a country that usually comes out shining in some ways. Um, and so I think for people here, it's hard to get your mind around that something really could be turning, even the economic crisis, right. you know, it's, it's hard, I think, for people to imagine that this economy could absolutely collapse. It's collapsed before, um, a long time ago, I guess in the 1920s, 29. but 1929, but you know, it, it is on the verge of something very, very tricky right now. And, you know, I, I know you had talked about we did a show um, on 9-11. It was a show that we mentioned 9-11. I can't remember if it was a complete show about it, but you had mentioned how for you, growing up in a neighborhood in which violence was kind of par for the course um, and had seen so much disruption and destruction and being you know, black in America and experiencing some of these hardships that a lot of people don't experience when 9-11 came, even though you could, um, you could, uh, observe that it was a tragedy you couldn't quite get your head around how everyone had felt like things had collapsed right. so much I kind of see that similarly I don't know what you think about this but it's something like that it's like I think because we don't we've not really dealt with something on this scale the people just they kind of laugh it off they think that it can't happen I, I think that's right I, I think people's prior so you know if, if you're just you know, how, how do we assess any situation, right? Especially if we're not experts. So if you're an expert, obviously you have more tools uh, to kind of assess what's going on. But let's assume that most of us are not epidemiologists. I know I'm not. Nor am I. Uh, so if, if you're not that, and if you're not even kind of connected to that world, let's say you're a research physician or just you're a doctor, you understand this world a little bit better. If you don't have that level of expertise, then what are the things that you're using to kind of guide your decision making? And for me, this is the kind of crux of the question. Mm -hmm. uh, what are those mental tools? Um, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, what you really want to hear is that everything is going to be okay. Right. Um, I certainly want to feel better. I think lots of people want to feel better. And I, I've heard lots of people who are pulling for an answer. It's not, it's not a clean answer. It's not, a, it's not what I would consider a, an honest answer. They're pulling for the answer that they want. And the answer that they want is everything is going to be okay. Right. Um, 
But there's something for me, there's something that's underneath that in terms of how do we make this assessment. If you're making the assessment based on uh, your life experience so far, generally the way things have happened in our lives is everything is, oh, everything is okay. Everything goes back to normal. Like, it's going to be okay. And we've had an entire life, like most of us, right? Our entire lives has been, it's all going to work out. But, but everything works like that until it doesn't. And this, to me, seems like unless you have something else to compare it to, this is not really the type of thing where your own life experience mm -hmm. is actually going to inform you in a meaningful way. And so you kind of have to dig through the history crates a little bit to, to get. Um, so I think Spanish flu is a really good example. I think avian flu is a really good example of what to, and this is with like way less world travel. So if we're looking at that, then the seriousness starts to look a little bit different, not in terms of survivability, right. but in terms of all of the, t the type of infrastructure and right. social collapse that's going to follow. We've right. never, not a living person alive right now, uh, or you know, maybe they're 105 years old, but mostly there's not a, a, even if they're that old, like they don't remember. So there's not a person alive who actually remembers what it's like to go through something like that. We've never seen right. anything like this. Well, and I think that is what is eluding people. That you know, even the responses that I see on Facebook or the or the remarks are calm down. There's somebody posted something about a doctor that said I've been through you know pandemics before. Um, I've worked in you know he used the word slums in somewhere. Uh, I've dealt with Ebola, and he said. Um, the panic that you should have is one of overreacting. And even as I was reading that, I thought, but we haven't had this. This is right. like, this is what people are saying. This has right. not happened in our lifetime. Right. So even if he feels like he's had a lot of experience with what's going on, he hasn't. And that's the mistake is the belief that this is just the ordinary fare. You were mentioning um, wanting to hear it's going to be okay. I felt myself doing that this morning. Um, with uh, Dr. Fauci, I guess that's how you say his name, Fauci. 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 Yeah, he was he was speaking, and he said, "Well, I'll give you the the prediction." And he said, "And I I I said out loud, oh, give you know, I hope it's hopeful or something.'" And he said, "This is going to get really bad. It's going to get right. a lot worse than it, than we think, and it's going to get bad before it gets better." He's not predicting that um, there will be 1.7 million U.S. deaths. That that that's what's possible. Right. And so it was this moment where I was waiting for what I'm so typically used to hearing in this country. Oh, it's going to be okay. We've right. got this. This is under control. We know what to do. We have all the tools. We have the infrastructure. We're going to be fine. That's not what I'm hearing this time. Yeah, I don't. So I I don't think that it's going to be fine. In terms of survivability, right? In terms of my heart is going to continue to beat. Obviously, that's not going to be a problem for ninety-eight percent of people. So, you know, you're, you know, if you're a listener, you already know your odds, right? Um, but it's not about your heart stopping. It's not about you no longer being on the face of the planet. It's really about all the things that follow, and the way we'll have to navigate society after that. It's going to be um, amazing. And that's really where it's going to get tough. That's where I think lots of people don't have even an expectation. So, you know, a good friend of mine, Mark Lamont Hill, he said once that um, something that I really liked. He said, most people have an easier time conceptualizing the end of the world than they do the end of capitalism. Right? And so put that to the side. I, I think that part is true. There's still lots of people who can't really... So this is going to sound like fear-mongering and alarmism. So let me dial that back. 
the type of social collapse that seems like it is very possible. Uh, I won't say inevitable and I won't say likely, but there's a, there's a type of social collapse that, that is possible. And we already see it in the supermarkets. So the supermarkets is like a, the prime example. This is why this doctor, so I'm, I'm ADD tangenting right now. I have ADD and I'm going to go on this tangent. Um, this doctor that you mentioned was talking about the fear of paranoia, right? Mm-hmm. And how paranoia is its own thing. The one that I said I saw posted, not Dr. Fauci. We're not talking right, about Right, some other yeah. doctor. Mm-hmm. He was talking about Ebola. Right. And, and, you know, if you have Ebola experience and that experience is in, let's say, Africa and not in an, in a, an industrialized Western country, then in some ways your understanding of the disease makes sense. But I'm not sure, and this is not necessarily uh, a doctor who isn't an epidemiologist, uh, this is probably not their area of expertise, but unless you're talking about a Western city mm-hmm. where the majority of people actually go to supermarkets for their food, th- then we haven't seen this kind of breakdown before. Um, whatever is happening in an Ebola place, right, like say it's Guinea or uh, Cameroon or whatever it is, people go to markets, but the, the you know there are enough markets and they're distributed in such a way that a market going down doesn't cause the same collapse as a supermarket going down. And so if we have a collective run on supermarkets, what you'll see is like what happened in Venezuela. I mean, in Venezuela, it wasn't about sickness. It was just a collapse of their, it was an economic collapse. But here you had an economic collapse and you saw there were long lines for food. People couldn't get essentials. Um, and that for me is the bigger threat. It, it's, it's different because we have a much more densely populated city supermarket driven you know supermarket driven kind of society right right right. yeah and you know i think there is something to say around keeping the panic low um you know a society that starts to you know respond with these knee-jerk reactions uh stockpiling hoarding you know i've I've seen reports about stealing you know hospital masks um And I think there is something to that. You know, we have to find a way to be smart and not to, you know, sure. lose our shit, right. you know. Um, staying together uh, with, you know, the, the information and doing the right thing. That, that's what we need to do. Um, the panic isn't necessary. And I, I, you know, you hear, you know, capitalism gets the best of everybody when you have, I guess it was the guy in Tennessee that bought up, you know, oh, right, $17,000 worth of hand sanitizer. Yeah, and can't sell them because Amazon wouldn't let him price gouge. But, you know, that kind of stuff, that's that's crazy. Right, so that's, that's the thing. Even that mentality is part of the problem with why we can't take care of each other. Because mm-hmm. some people are like, hey, can we pull together? And, and this other person is like, how can I profit off of this? Right. How can I profit off the people who, right. you know, like it, it's that, like that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want to divert a little bit uh, to the, um, to the, to this idea of what should we be doing? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to say anything that the epidemiologists haven't already said, uh, but I'd like to talk about, you know, h- how we like the cognitive tools that we use to assess whether or not we should even go out. So a lot of cities have shut down the cities before. Um, and Philadelphia was just shut down uh, in terms of like people going to restaurants. Yeah, yeah, the non-essential stuff. And governments. All right. In fact, I just saw there's lines hoarding up the, or filling up the uh, liquor stores because right. <laughs> the spirits, right. wine and spirits is going to be closed for two weeks. So 
God forbid we don't we don't have that. I uh, don't mean to lose your right. Kind of... No, no. Uh, if we have to look at, so one of the things that again, you know, uh, when I'm looking at people's responses on TV, it's like we, we still need to live our lives. We're not gonna. I'm not gonna not go to this restaurant. Uh, I saw a family that went to Applebee's or something like that, or Outback Steakhouse. Yeah. And I was like, wait, you're gonna risk this for Outback? Because um, you know it's just Outback Steakhouse. Uh, but, you know, not to take shots at Outback, even yeah. though I totally just did. Uh, did. But really, the question is this: We're asking you to just contract, not forever, right? Uh, not for the rest of your lives, for two weeks. And if the rub is, I can't control myself, I can't not go to Outback Steakhouse, I can't not satisfy my immediate desires for two weeks, mm-hmm. because there are lots of things that are at stake, um, that to me seems like a particular type of problem. And here's how I would say, so yes, I hear the logic, right? Um, 98%, I'm going to do okay. Uh, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to stop living my life. Mm-hmm. I get that part. But so there's a guy named Ray Dalio. He has a book called Principles. Here's the way that you should at least, I think, evaluate it. What's on the upside, right? Uh, Here's the thing that I have to gain if I go to Outback Steakhouse in this two weeks where I should be quarantining myself. I gain a delicious steak dinner, um, probably some mashed potatoes, which will be mashed to perfection. Right? Or baked with sour cream. Or baked, chives. right? I'm going to have a delicious meal. <laughs> and I'm going to spend some quality time some with my... Texas toast. Right? And some spend some quality time with my family. Right. Um, now, could I put that off for two weeks? I could, but I want this meal now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the upside is I get to have it. So. And I get to get out. And be out and about. That's right. Order a Diet Coke or whatever, yeah. The downside, and this is the thing we have to also consider, so what's the potential downside? It might be no downside. Mm -hmm. But let's say we look at the potential downside is uh, I get sick and die, or I get sick and have complications for the rest of my life, or I get sick and someone close to me dies or have complications for the rest of their lives, right? That's the potential downside. So we have the expected upside, No real expectation for the downside, but there's a potential downside. If we have to compare these next to each other, uh, either I I get this upside now or wait two weeks and then be able to assess better, Mm -hmm. or or there's this potential downside um, that could ruin everything. Even if you don't think that it's going to happen, the the cognitive tool that we can use is to put those right next to each other. Is a night out with my family... Is it worth somebody close to me dying or potentially dying myself or having future complications? Like, is that an even exchange? Mm -hmm. And if it's not an even exchange, if you're not willing to say, oh, yeah, I'm willing to risk that so that I can have a dinner, then actually I think what you're doing is quite, I don't know, irrational. Yeah. Um, Especially when we're just asking people, like, not to give up Outback Steakhouse forever, although I I, I would say give it up forever. Uh, But don't give it up forever. Just give it up for two weeks. Yeah, well, I think, you know, this points to, not to belittle it, well, whatever. We've done a few shows on this, you know, how, what, what, what do you do when life doesn't meet your expectations? Right. Or how do you handle emotions when, 
you know, you don't know how to trust them, whatever that is. There's so many ways that we can work with this, even mentally and emotionally and psychologically, you know, to consider what it's like just to give up things for a couple of weeks. Right. What do you do? You kind of live with the discomfort. You say, I can't gratify my animal nature right now, right. but I'm going to be just fine. And I'll do that. And I can do that. And maybe, and I know, maybe this is pushing the envelope a little bit. Maybe I can grow through that. You know, I have a really, um, my second grade teacher, Elaine Myers, <laughs> she, uh, I st- she's still my friend on Facebook. Yeah. She's one of the most lovely people I know. She's one of the loveliest I know. She posted this. Now, hold on, because there's a little bit of, you know, overly sweet stuff sure. in it. But I love it. It says, going outdoors is not canceled. Listening to music is not canceled. Quality time with our families is not canceled. Reading a book is not canceled. Sharing with friends is not canceled. Singing out loud is not canceled. Laughing has not been canceled. Sharing hope with others has not been canceled. Let's embrace what we have. I love it. It almost made me choke up wow. as I was reading it. <laughs> and, you know, I think there is this regrouping we can do for two sure. weeks. No, I think so too. Figure out what to do with your household. You know, right. I... You know, for the first time, I think with my kid, I really have thought about what she's going to be doing with her time. I mean, in real concrete ways. Right. Um, and it feels nice to kind of have an understanding. She she came up and said it kind of felt good to be like, quote unquote, homeschooled. She was like kind of sinking into it. Um, and not to, you know, I'm not just painting this with a broad silver lining. You know, there are very real threats, but if we're in the midst of this, how do we make this work for all of us and take care of each other? I like that silver lining. I I think I feel, so ultimately, for all the gloom and doom that, you know, is potential, I I certainly feel more hopeful than not. Uh, And I'll tell you why. Um, So if you had asked me three days ago, or maybe I'd say two days ago, if you had talked to me Sunday, I would have said, ah, this feels like craziness. Um, craziness because of the social fallout, not necessarily because of, you know, the amount of people who perish because of the disease itself. But it seems like the federal government and state governments have already started having conversations about how to relieve some of the economic, um, you know, pressure that's going to be caused for people. And I think for me, this is a sense of hope. Uh, my, my fear was really, you know, prior to, to hearing that, my fear was, if there's already a rate on the supermarkets and, um, you know, supermarkets are having a hard time replenishing, you know, what happens as, you know, people who are out of work and they have hungry children and they still need to go to the supermarket and they either can't afford it because they haven't been working right. or the supermarkets don't have it and they didn't have enough, you know, uh, let's say economic leverage ahead of time to go stockpiling in the same mm-hmm. way. What happens then? Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally, you know, what we see happen in the world then is uh, a really type of ugly, emer- you know, uh, behavior starts to emerge. You know, then we get looting, then we get like neighbors turning on neighbors and things of that sort. Uh, and without the government saying anything about stepping in, I was like, Ugh, I hope it doesn't get like kind of, cr- you know, crime. Right. Um, that's, I said that the right way. You did. Um, but but listening to you know the the kind of leadership response about really taking some of the the economic burden off of people who are gonna need it the most that to me is reassuring and I think it'll it's the right move but I think it'll stand as a, a kind of economic socioeconomic buffer between the people who are gonna be the most in need and they won't have to engage in any kind of 
you know, unseemly behavior in order to feed their families. Right. Yeah, I think that kind of hope is is the hope we need. We need to consider how we're going to get through it, how we're going to take care of each other, um, while holding kind of the gravity of the situation. Right. Um, and we can do both. It doesn't have to be outright panic. Right. And it doesn't have to be, I, I only live once, and so I'm going to go out and revel with the... Uh, with the St. Patrick's Day drinkers. Uh, right. There's something. There's a middle ground. Yeah, there's a middle ground. Um, and so, you know, I think wrapping this up is, uh, that's uh, that's the call. Yeah. Uh, take care of each other. Um, trust, really, what's happening now that it's real, but that, you know, we're a, a pretty sturdy stock um, in terms of our human, being a human species and um we got that we can do it we can take care of each other for just wise yeah just stay home that's the that's the take care of each other <laughs> stay your ass home stay your ass home anyway uh, I, I guess we can thank the, the listeners for hanging in there with us and uh, sorry again for you know that it came out late but um yeah we appreciate you hanging in there with us it was the corona delay that's right uh but we will talk to you in a week we convene take good care See ya.